0: Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn
1: the up. Huge believer in that you should focus up to 70% of your time on coming up with 10x ideas because creativity is one of the key areas that can help you build a brand moat and be a force multiplier in your business strategy. What
0: do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squad, Vinyl Proteins, and BlendJet all have in common? They're all seeing 20x ROI from retention.com. Visit retention.com to book a demo today up everybody we are live at south by first tmm podcast live this is exciting Woo-hoo. i am here with meeting mark i call him meeting marks because he takes the meeting so i don't have to um we've worked together a lot he's currently the vp of brand and media this important brand and media at nextiva and let's go into the story how we met and then we'll talk about the topic of creativity also, just reminder, we had another talk about two days ago, talking about media, which is a cool transition for media and creativity because they come together a lot. But let's just talk about how we met and our story. You can give a little background and then
1: I'll add. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be here. And a uh, big shout out to Anthony Canada who joined us at the TMM Happy Hour earlier in the week. Be sure to check that one out. Anthony had some great takes. So Daniel and I have known each other now coming up on what feels like a lifetime, even though it's only been a few years. And I still remember that fateful moment in a Whole Foods when we both touched the same box of cereal. No, I'm just kidding. Daniel was working in marketing operations. And I remember connecting with him and was trying to hire him as a marketing ops leader. And I said to him, it was like one of the first things I said, hey, you're really good at media why aren't you doing this as your full-time thing? It's your superpower. And then fast forward to a few years later, hire Daniel on the media side, and we've been partnering ever since. So uh, long-time friendship, longer time, everything else. We'll get into the weird
0: details in another podcast, but I want to go into the topic today in creativity because it's a very interesting topic, and it's sometimes hard to cultivate and think about. But I want to first ask you, What creativity means to you?
1: Creativity, I think, is one of those, to your point, esoteric topics that people don't know how to put in the box. But in the simplest format for me, anyways, I think of creativity as taking a new and imaginative approach where you're bringing together things that may not have existed. So one plus one becomes five. And I think especially in B2B marketing, I'm a huge believer in that you should focus up to 70% of your time on coming up with 10x ideas because creativity is one of the key areas that can help you build a brand moat and be a force multiplier in your business strategy. I think one of the the biggest pitfalls that I see in B2B marketing is companies spend 10% of their time on the creative and the idea and they spend 90% on execution. So when I look at a company who are saying, "All right, we're going to build the next white paper." Even an A-plus execution, like the best you've ever seen in the world, is still a white paper. Whereas when you look at companies who are bringing a media mindset like Mr. Beast, they're spending 70% of their time on 10x ideas. And even if you execute a 10x idea at a B-, minus, it's more likely to get a B three to five times as impactful as the best white paper you could execute. So coming full circle, I'd say creativity is the way that you approach ideas. It's the framework of how you bring yourself, your team, your department together. And I think really in its core, it's a philosophy around being different and not better. And for those of you that haven't had a chance to read the book series Play Bigger, would highly recommend it from the product marketing landscape of how it gets you to think about creativity within the realm of category creation, strategic narrative and how to position your brand as a moat, especially if you are in a really crowded, you know, red sea. So, I mean, obviously big topic and we'll dive in, but that's my my take off the cuff.
0: Yeah, I'll just add a little context to that. For me, creativity is taking two obsolete ideas and bringing them together. And the way you do that is consuming a lot of content in your space. I think a lot of people... And also outside your space. So thinking of taking inspiration from other realms, a lot of mistakes happen in B2B marketing or other spaces when they take inspiration just from B2B marketing instead of going looking in what e-commerce is doing, what other cool industries are doing. So that's a, a big problem that happens in B2B is they copy everybody in the same realm instead of taking inspiration from all different walks of life.
1: Yeah, and I mean, my last point on that would be, um, if any of you have a leadership team, so show of hands here in the South by Southwest audience, who here have proposed a creative campaign that you are really excited about to leadership, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't do that. Can I get a show of hands here? Be vulnerable. Be brave. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So it looks like a good amount of people. My biggest piece of advice is, if you're following the serious decisions playbook, that 50,000 other companies are, you will not stand out. And especially if you're in the startup world where you have limited cash, limited runway, and you don't have the same attention or distribution outlets as other large companies, you can't afford to act like them. So, my biggest piece of advice is when other companies are playing chess and you can't afford to play chess, you don't have the distribution to play chess. You need to figure out how to flip that board so you can play Connect 4. And we'll talk about some of the specifics and brands that have done that before. But make sure that you can challenge and push back on people who say we can't be creative because I think that's a massive cop-out. Any industry you're in, regardless of what you're doing, even if you're selling highly protected data security for government, I guarantee you, you can be creative. You just need to reframe how leadership sees it how the business sees it, and how to build a business case that gets you to yes.
0: And I think one thing that people always ask is, can I be creative? Is it a muscle that I can hone in? What are some things that you do to hone that creativity muscle? Because I think it's something that you have to work on all the time. It's like going to the gym. You can't just consume content once a month. You can't just try, come up with creative ideas Once in a blue moon, you have to work that muscle. So what are some things you do to hone that creativity muscle?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. And uh, one thing early on in my life, I remember, so my my dad, ironically, too, was a global head of marketing for a telecom company, a business communication company. And here I am standing in his footsteps, also doing the same thing. And I was at this gala with him, and we're in Palm Springs, and I remember meeting a number of celebrities. So they had the whole cast, the matrix and, and everyone was there. It was really cool. And I was asking like, how did you stand out and become, you know, like a celebrity figure? And I was a kid and I was really excited about this. And the answers that I heard were so short and like, I didn't know how to apply them. They just said, Oh, well learn to be funny. I was like, learn to be funny. It's like saying, learn to be entertaining. I was like, okay, well how do I do it? What are the steps you take? Like, I didn't even know where to start. And I mean, um, I was lucky enough to be average height 5'10", but unlike my favorite, Media Murray over here, standing tall at 6'3", I knew that I needed to bring more to the table from personality as I was going through life. So I was like, okay, I'll give you my anecdote of me trying to grow up and learn creativity and learn how to be funny. I realized that it was something that you had to like embed in the DNA of how you live. It's not something where you can just be like, all right, I'm gonna just wing it and show up and do my best. Like you, you have to cultivate the frameworks from the best in the business. You have to live in those environments. So unlike if you tried to learn a language, you know, if any of you tried to learn a language and you go and say, all right, I'm gonna do five minutes of Duolingo once every Friday," maybe in six months you could ask me how to get a baguette or how to go to the bathroom. But the difference if you move to Paris for a semester. And every day you said, if I can't speak French, I can't get what I need. You're probably going to be really annoyed if all you can drink is sparkling water and you want still. So you'll figure it out. So in the same way, bringing back to creativity, find the people who you admire that are the best at what they do. Build a framework in your life very explicitly that creates time and space for you to hone that craft. I think too often people think of soft skills like creativity not as something that should be prioritized. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that you can make. If you went and just learned tactical skills in marketing, how to do search engine optimization, how to do marketing operations, shout out to my old MOPS friends. you're going to have the same fundamentals as everyone else. But what's your force multiplier? What is going to differentiate you? What is going to help you be a better storyteller in interviews? build a personal brand, get on stage at Self by Southwest. It's going to be how you can stand out and creativity is a big part of that. So we'll, we'll go deep into like some of the routines that I practice. But the last resource I'd recommend is, um, it's a great book. It's called Play. It's older. It came out in 2010 and it's by, I think it's Dr. John, Dr. John Brown. And it was Dr. Brown Play, take a look. And it's a specific framework of like understanding kind of like your love language how you should play and how to bring play into your life as a way to drive 10X creativity and like build a framework of how you live. So make the time, bring intention, and be consistent.
0: One thing you mentioned there is frameworks. And I think one of my favorite quotes is from Pablo Picasso, and I don't want to butcher it, but it's good art is borrow, great art is steal. I want to go into this because... I think this is a something that could be applied in marketing, but I want to go how you think about it as a marketer,
1: about stealing ideas versus not stealing ideas. Yeah, well, before we got on stage, Daniel goes to me and he says, hey, I'm going to ask you, who's more creative, you or Steve Jobs? So thank you for that. But, but on that note, there is a segue here. One principle that I think is really important is you need to free up your mind to be able to focus on what matters. And the reason I mentioned Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, or even me, Daniel makes fun of me all the time because I have like a 12-piece capsule wardrobe. It's like the same stuff. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think about, oh, am I to wear my black aloe t-shirt or my navy one? It's going to be one of my five black pairs of pants, my t-shirts, a bomber, or a vest. If you look at me speak, even last week, I'm in the same thing, with just a different jacket right so when I think of creativity and the importance of what you can steal steal with the perspective of opportunity cost and here's what I mean I'll give you an example from pop culture pop music specifically Korean pop k-pop people have been trying to engineer the formula of how to make a viral hit in k-pop to a science there is literally if you google it's one of the the best reads ever, it's like a 300-page PhD thesis where someone went and analyzed not only the chord structure and the sound engineering, the team composition and the personalities of the five, almost like when building a boy band, and then specifically like the percentage of a song that needs to be rap versus chorus versus bridge versus whatever. And the fascinating part about that and, and why I tie it back to opportunity cost is... When you understand the framework, the viral hooks, the team composition, the model, and you create an environment where you can focus on, again, coming back to my first point, spending 70% of your time on the 10X idea, you're not thinking about, oh, what model should I use? Who should be in the band? What percentage of the song should be rap versus chorus versus bridge? Should we go from chord G All the way up to E and down to D. Well, it's like, okay, we have these best practices that we know work. And we'll talk about the dangers of best practices later and why in some cases it's best not to do them. But I'll I'll bring it back full circle to Steve Jobs and then pass it back. When he woke up every morning in his dapper black turtleneck looking way better than me on stage right now, he wasn't thinking, what am I wearing? 100% of his effort was on how do I bring the best creative to life? How do I operate from these frameworks that I know that work? And that's the big thing as a marketer that I think we can really fall into the trap of, especially in today's age with unlimited information, unlimited decision, paradox of choice. If you're waking up thinking about the framework, what's my viral hook? What's the model? What's the campaign? How do I operationalize it? You may have 6% left to focus on the creative itself. And at the end of the day, think of that sea of SaaS there was other 50,000 businesses using that same serious decisions playbook. Imagine the difference if you're focusing 100% of your time on creative and a better idea, and everyone's executing webinars and white papers. We mentioned steel. It's not plagiarized copy paste. Steel
0: is take the wheel and reinvent it, innovate on it. Take the frameworks that have worked, add your own perspective onto it. Don't try to come up with a new thing that hasn't worked before it's not copy paste copy paste i think that's what a lot of people make mistakes on it when they say hear the word steal yes it's look what the best they're doing in the industry look what the best are doing in other industries take what works and apply it to your business with your ideas but like mark was saying earlier It's better to come up with, have a framework, so then you can have the ability to have creativity add on it instead of having to come up with the framework
1: and the creative idea on top of the framework. Quick show of hands here for those of you that are active on LinkedIn. I see some of you, we connected earlier. How many of you have seen a screenshot of a tweet or a slider on LinkedIn? Can I get a quick show of hands, folks? Yeah, okay. Literally everyone is raising their hand. So two quick tactical takeaways. One, there's a reason why this works. First, in terms of timing, Twitter tends to be significantly ahead of LinkedIn. And when you understand the art and the science of almost like an early adopter curve of different platforms, specifically on social, you know that Twitter and Reddit tend to be like on the ground, in the news, breaking news. LinkedIn... I love LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, is like six months late. It's like the person that shows up doing the Budweiser, what's up, self South by Southwest. That's how I would picture LinkedIn, right? So the reason that that works is because people include the social trust around the tweet that went viral. When, I'll give you an example, my highest performing post on LinkedIn reached over a million people, had like 17,000 likes. Not ironically, was also my highest performing tweet. And when you can test ideas and use a similar framework as someone else on a different platform, especially if it's earlier, it's a really good way to understand what's going to perform elsewhere. That's a highly oversimplified version of taking a creative framework, knowing what's going to work, testing it somewhere, and then bringing it to a different channel. And my tactical advice here is understand on that curve of what platforms are early adopters, because then you can say, hey, I can form frameworks Viral hooks and inspiration from places that are likely not going to show up where my audience are consuming content. If you're starting to see now, even the same type of content that's been trending on TikTok for over a year shortcut videos, subtitles of highlights, emojis, camera cuts, 15 to 30 second curiosity gap hooks that's coming to LinkedIn now, nine months late with Budweiser and everything else that we saw back in 2017. And that is a really good way when you think about stealing, steal from where you're going to have novelty. So a big part of virality and shout out to our friend, Daniel Disney, he's written a great book, really breaking down the success of how to drive virality on LinkedIn. You know, similar has scaled a LinkedIn page to over a million followers. Your K coefficient, if you're familiar with K coefficients, it's like your virality formula. Novelty and the diminishing returns of how new an idea is on a platform becomes a multiplier of how well your content will do. If someone has done the same idea 10, 15, 30 times you've seen it in your feed, if the creative is too similar, it's not going to perform.
0: I want to go into a topic, though, because I think this is where a lot of the coming up with these, these tweets and stuff like that one of the things that I have is a swipe file. Some people call it an inspiration file. If people don't know what a swipe file is, is is where you keep all your ideas. If you see a screenshot on LinkedIn, or you see a tweet that you like, or you see a cool billboard, or you, you keep it in one place so you can come back and take that idea and use it somewhere else. Mark has an interesting way of doing this because I think he has a way of organizing ideas and also taking those ideas and displaying it to his, the, his, the marketing team. Because I think swipe files are also good at showing what you're thinking and also to be able to create ideas for someone else. So first I want to go into, do you have a swipe? Yeah. Your swipe file, how do you organize it? And second, the second qu- follow-up question would be, what's your process of organizing these
1: inspirational files? Daniel given that we've partnered over the years, has been part of what I call uh, forced creativity, where, uh, again, my, my best ADH friend, I'll have to sit him down and uh, walk him through the process. So we'll have some funny stories about that later. But really simple method for swipe file that you can steal. If you're on Teams, Slack, whatever your internal communication hub is, there's three things that I recommend, um, and one is not what you think. So the best swipe file doesn't actually start with the tactical. It starts with building a charter and a principle for your team and your organization that carves out time for inspiration, creativity, and being the best aggregator. So I'm a huge believer, especially with the unlimited amount of information that we have in the world, if you are not spending time becoming the best aggregator, curator, think of yourself almost like Phillips Auction. If you went and had to scour the entire world for pieces, you would never be successful finding those great ones that are going to be showcases. But if you were able to build out a great team of 12 scouts who each had their part of the world, what they focused on, and had a really specific set of, hey, I'm going to go and find the best Egyptian artifacts from this period to this period because we have an interest in X, you become an expert aggregator. So the number one thing that I recommend, again, if you're a marketing leader, if even if you're a small business owner, a team of one, carve out with intention, time in your day to one, be a great aggregator. Link what matters to your customers, your business, and your brand strategy. And when I say your brand strategy, think about the white space that you can operate. One of the big things that I always um, come back to in creativity is, you know we're in South by Southwest. There are a number of these Built in Silicon Valley, Move Fast Break Things, Patagonia Vesta, $9 Starbucks Latte, right? Those are going to really appeal to early adopters who are waiting in line five hours before for the latest iPhone. But if you're in middle America trying to sell financial services to brick-and-mortar stores, you need to build your white space and your creative engine to speak to that audience, So really start to understand. There's a great framework by a company called Strategizer with a Z called the Value Proposition Canvas. It's a free template, free tool. You can check it out. And it helps you quickly understand not only like the functional jobs your ideal customer profile are trying to do, but like the social and emotional stuff that resonates with them. So when you're thinking about a swipe file, again, one of the other biggest mistakes I see is... Companies think that like all inspiration is good inspiration. If you're only looking at these move fast, break things, Silicon Valley tech companies, but it doesn't align to the values of your audience, what they care about. If you did like a pop up at South by Southwest and gave away a grand and a Tesla you're probably still not going to resonate with that audience because they probably couldn't even afford a ticket to come out here, let alone a badge to get in. So you need to make sure that you're thinking about your audience and that is in the DNA of the swipe file. So getting tactically, if you're in Teams, Slack, whatever communication hub, I have a channel with a reminder in it every week for my team to crowdsource their ideas. I have a charter that's built out where creativity and finding the best content inspiration aggregators is part of the regular cadence. We then have specific kickoff calls and oftentimes no agenda kickoff calls. And he knows, because I think in some cases, agenda stifle creativity. We come together and just chat about what we saw. One of the best campaigns I ever ran, this was like two startups ago, we won the G2 14th fastest growing product of the year. And we said, how can we bring this to market with all of these other big companies with better distribution outlets? Like, How can we do something different? And one of my team accidentally said GQ magazine instead of G2. So we did cover shoots for all of our teams and we called it GQ g 2 And it became one of our viral campaigns where even the CEO of G2 and all of their leadership around the world reached out and said, hey we put this in our internal Hall of Fame because it was like the best campaign we had seen, it wouldn't have happened without that swipe file. And we have this stuff in our channel all connected to Google Drive. We have a cadence where we review it once every quarter in addition to our no agenda meetups. And I also use a Chrome extension, shout out to Swipely, that lets you one click add anything you see anywhere and pipe that back into whatever your hub is. So I know longer answer here, but there's layers and layers of strategy and tactics and like team operation principles to even simple things like swipe files. And when you take the time to build the foundation, that's where you're going to get, again, those 10x ideas rather than those, those 2x layups.
0: Also to scare people, not scare people, but he is extremely organized with this process. Like my swipe file <laughs> is kind of like a disorganized mess. It's screenshots of my phone, it's notes, but I get in the habit of doing that. I think like, People forget you can have a a super process like that, which works. And I think for him it works, for his team it works, especially if you have a team it works. But if you're one creative and need to come up with ideas for yourself, I have a folder in my screenshots that I just swipe bio. And then I have notes in my phone that are just notes and that sync to Google Docs and stuff like that. So I think don't always think you can start because you need a process. Just start putting things in a swipe out. The other thing I want quick, to go Quick, to,
1: really yeah. like word of warning and caution because I made this mistake in my career. And if I could go back and fix one thing, it would be this. Don't let nailing the perfect process out of the gate stop you from just doing it. If you're walking, the amount of times that I piss him off because I'm walking in will voice note, you know, like my boss or our CEO or something that we're doing. And he's like, can you just stop it? But just capturing it in that moment. The reason that I have this process is because I've cultivated this habit over 10, 12, 15 years. I've been building it like day by day. Don't try to come out of the gates and, you know, do 50 things and your team goes, wait, so we got to meet, we got to do this thing, we got to put it in Slack, we got to put it in Google, we got to do it, like, just start doing it and give yourself the freedom to do it at a C minus and know that 1% better every day is going to magnify in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's better to have a captured idea than an idea lost. So yeah. better to have a captured idea. I think a lot of people think that you need a big budget to have creativity. I think you need like, you need to be the McDonald's or the Wendy's. I know you've worked at companies with smaller budgets, even no
1: budget. So how do brands compete with big budgets and be creative? Well, I'm going to do a little plug for you all to check out the... TMM Happy Hour that we did with Anthony Canada gave this example and I'll give you some more. My favorite example of this is from FreshBooks. And again, if you want the full example, go check out that recording it'll be live on the podcast. FreshBooks, if you don't know, we're competing with Intuit. So think accounting software for small businesses, massive, enterprise Goliath, and they were coming to an expo like South by Southwest where entry point, I'm talking like 150, 200K, to get the smallest booth in a corner next to, like, the janitor stand with the squeaky light, right? Like, that's that's where we are. And they said, okay, we can't do that. So if you remember when I said, show of hands, when you're stuck and you say, I can't be creative or I can't compete with the big players, what do you do? You don't play chess. You reframe the board. So what FreshBooks did and what I would encourage you all to steal as a playbook is change how you play the game. Here's what FreshBooks did. They said, okay, we can't compete on budget. We can't compete on booth complexity. We can't compete on production value. What can we compete on? So again, those are some of the axes to think about. We can compete on the experience. We can compete on pop culture. And we can compete on leaning into our values and our white space being for the people, small business. So, what they did was they recreated the banana stand from Arrested Development. If any of you have seen this, they spent $2,000. They had their interns and their team come together on the weekend and they paper mache a banana stand. Then they got 70 cases of bananas and got QR codes to put on those bananas and dressed up in banana costumes. It was so successful that they actually had to order more bananas at the event, and they got a keynote shout out on stage as the most creative brand who spent two thousand dollars, not two hundred k. And the reason it was successful, and you hear more if you check out, again, our Happy hour, they found a different access to play in. They understood where they could have leverage, and they tilted it to their favor. Anytime you're approaching competing with a large organization, You need to think of what are the dials that you can turn where you can win. Don't try to outspend Oracle, you will lose. Don't try to out-engineer HBO and production value, you will lose. Think of what your audience cares about and lean into that scrappy, authentic content that your audience will be like, oh yeah, that fits with the values that I care about. I see that that is a company that gets me it's more important to be clear than it is to be clever. And there are a ton of axes even beyond that that you can think about. One thing I think about is what are mediums or distribution
0: channels that are low cost, low entry, and the only entry point is time. I think a lot of people, like for example, TikTok and LinkedIn are two channels that you can get started with very quickly that are low entry point and the only time thing you can have to invest in is in time but you also can get a lot of attention by doing creative things doing different things and also something with people with small budgets they usually have less restrictions in the process so they can do the more risky things i think a lot of big brands a lot of big brands can take risk and that could be also another competitive advantage
1: so i've known daniel a long time And one of the reasons he is, in my opinion, the best media strategist, executor in the B2B space, full stop, is because he understands that creative is only part of the battle. And that wacky, push the bounds, eccentric, wild, like a lot of people, I think, have this perception that creativity has to be like an Old Spice commercial on a horse with hot air balloons and slapstick humor. And I think that's one of the most challenging stereotypes that make it hard for marketers to get credibility in the boardroom, to get credibility with leadership, and also to be able to move forward big ideas. So when you're thinking about creative, creative can be at a completely different level, and I'll give you a really good example. Show of hands, who here saw Dove's campaign campaign Real beauty, where they had FBI sketch artists behind a wall actually sketch women based on how they describe themselves versus how other people describe those women. Okay, so I'm going to break down the principles behind this, why it was really creative, why it worked, how you can steal it, and a good way to get executive buy in using that same protocol. And I think this is where you were going. One, there is an amazing curiosity hook at the beginning of that content. And one of my favorite examples that you as a marketer can steal from psychology, and this is something that Robinhood, the trading app, uses. When you first download Robinhood, you are given almost like a casino experience of getting a free stock. And there's a really interesting paradigm in casino psychology, which is when you first sit down at the slot machine, you would actually think that your highest spike in dopamine would be as you're playing, as you're winning. It's not. It is the moment you first sit down. The first 60 seconds you were in that seat is when your dopamine spike hits. And marketers who understand psychology, again, one of the reasons why psychology is so important to study, and we'll talk about that later, is Dove used that and said, hey, in the first three seconds of someone seeing this, there's a really great curiosity hook that's going to get people stopping and paying attention because they're going to go, oh, I wonder what it's going to look like if someone's going to describe themselves versus someone else, and that spikes your dopamine in that first three seconds in the same way that Robert has used that to drive a great product-led growth motion. So when you look at that and then you say, okay, well, what's the next stage of that? If Dove had just been doing something crazy like having a person with a chainsaw carving their into an ice statue because it's viral and it's slapstick, it wouldn't have hit for two reasons. Who's Dove's audience? Real people, real women. How can they connect to the social and emotional pains? Not just the jobs to be done. It's not about, I want soap to be clean. It's like, I want to choose a body wash and a company that shares the same values as me, that has the same ethos. We all struggle with body positivity I speak for Daniel and I as big guys who were given, in my case, the trombone growing up with, you know, all my other wide-shouldered friends because I wasn't skinny enough to play the saxophone, which was cooler, right? And when you connect to your audience in a way where you understand where they're coming from and you can bring in a topic like that, there was no wild music, there was no confetti, there were no Mr. Beast surprises or $100,000 in TV stacked in a circle. It was soft, it was on brand, it aligned to what the customers cared about, but it used the same foundation of viral hooks, creative frameworks, and it became one of the most successful ad campaigns in the D2C market of all times for those reasons. So again, the last point here, and then I'll throw it back, is when you're making your business case to leadership, don't polarize them or get them thinking that TikTok is cool and we should be on it because their nephew saw it. So, like, you need to frame the fact that creativity and big 10X ideas aren't all slapstick and chainsaws and ice statues. They can really relate to your audience, but it takes everything we've talked about. You have to cultivate creative practice, embed it in your operations, make time for it, and like hone that craft over time.
0: Ari, if you don't know that, she's my wife. She's one of the best marketers I know. She was talking about how. You can be creative in the process. Think about how you can be 1% better in top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, or if there's a process in the experience. People think that it needs to be this campaign that you need to run, but you can also be in the marketing ops guy. Creativity came, but for me, when it's like, how can I up conversion by 1%? Okay, let's think about how to up conversion 1%. Do I start at web site conversion? Do I start at form conversion? Do I start at lead conversion? Do I start at opportunity conversion? Where is the biggest gap? Audit all those gaps, then come up with creativity, creative ideas. Is it a problem that the audience has a friction point or is it a problem that sales doesn't have enough tools to to operate? I think creativity doesn't have to be big ideas. It doesn't have to be the coolest ideas. It's just something that makes an impact in your in your org and think of something think about all the experience you've had in the past and you bring that to that one moment and say okay to up one percent conversion rate for let's say form conversion we might need to add a chat bot because we know our audience likes adding talking and chat and conversational instead of filling out a form. So a lot of people think it needs to be this outward thing, but you're also can audit your internal process, yeah.
1: audit that type of thing to be creative as well. I've, I've got a really good one on that that I think the audience would take away. So can I get some audience participation here? If you know what a retro or a post-mortem stands for, can I get a quick definition? Someone brave, you'll be live on the air. Shout it out. What's a retro? I'll repeat your answer. When you come together and regroup on what went well, what didn't go well, what could be improved next time, Mark, you're so handsome. Thank you. He didn't say that part, but I appreciate it. Yeah. So what he was saying, I'll repeat for everyone in the mic, a retrospective or a retro is something that is really popular in the product side of the world. Sometimes also code a postmortem, again, different lens, but too often marketers think that retros retrospectives is a technical framework and something you could only do on engineering product development bullshit the best thing that you can do as a creative team is run retros on your creative process you don't get 10 ideas without coming up with some Cs and D minuses so in the same way you might run a performance retro saying like all right Where was our gap in the funnel? Where do we miss? Was it top of funnel? Was it our nurture sequence? Was it sales? Was it we didn't have the training? You should run a full retro on your creative process. Break down, all right, did we understand the customer profile? Did we have the right visual strategy that aligned to our audience? How did our actual creative perform? Did it have channel model fit? For those of you that don't know Brian Balfour, go look up channel model fits by Brian Balfour, B-A-L-F-O-U-R on Reforge. It is probably one of the most important things that I learned early in my career. The simple version of it is, and I won't butcher the article, you need to design content for the channels and you need to make sure that the unit economics of your creative don't put you in the customer acquisition cost to like average revenue per unit dead zone. IE, if you're selling a $20 $20 ARPU product. You can't spend fifty grand to come to South by Southwest unless you're driving significant Volume. And it's a really good lens to apply for your creative retro to make sure that you've built the right go-to-market motion supporting that. So anyways, check out that article. Brian Balfour is one of the, he's like one of the early growth marketers that made HubSpot what it is today. And now he runs the equivalent of It's like an elite training academy for marketers who want to learn growth skills from the best growth leaders in the space, like Casey Winter at Pinterest, who made Pinterest What It Is Today. Huge fan of Brian. Brian, shout out to you, because I appreciate what you do.
0: Even if you do a post-mortem, a lot of the orgs I've seen don't share their findings with other people in the organization. So the ideas that they came up with or the learnings they come up with are confined to one or two people in the organization. So the best thing to do is have this public, communicate this internally, share your ideas so people don't do double work or come up with double ideas or do another campaign exactly like that and fail again. So one, retro is good for having notes to go back to saying, oh, that campaign failed, let's try something new. Or it's also good, that campaign was great, how could we do that again? A lot of people don't even do retros. And then the second, they don't do retros and then share learnings with not only marketing, that product should know about, the sales should know about, this leadership should know about it. So that's a really good um, insight.
1: Last tactical piece on this is what I used to do was had an Airtable that would have all their experiments. So in the past, I've had my marketing teams run two-week sprints. They would track their experiments, but it wouldn't be a make-work situation. It would be, you have maximum of two minutes to describe what you're doing, why, what success looks like. If you have these, you don't need Airtable. table. It could be a Google Sheet. You can literally have your team fill in the wins, the learnings, the opportunities, and you can flag all of those and highlight them and then have an executive TLDR in a newsletter in all hands, something you present to your company, to Daniel's point, to surface how you can take that information so you're not right trying the same things again. It lets you do more of what's working and less of what's not. One topic I want to
0: go into a little bit is communities or network. I think a lot of the creative ideas come from community. That's why. That's why you see film people in film move to LA to get closer to people in film so they can come up with creative ideas. That's why you see SAW people back in the day going to San Francisco going in tech. Now everything's spread apart, but it's always good to have a community of people that you can bounce off ideas that you build in your career. So I want to go into the question. One of the things you're really great at is building a network of people to ask questions like if i have a question about marketing ops i go to x if i have a question to go to product marketing i go to y luckily you had your ex-partner was a great product marketer so you have that shout out to tomorrow she's the best product marketer i know but i want to go into the topic of how do you build
1: that network how do you build that community of people to get inspiration and ideas from yeah so And again, uh, if you want all the full details, I gave away my entire playbook on how I went from being new to SaaS three and a half years ago to now being a VP of marketing, brand and media for a $3 billion company in less than three and a half years. So when we did our live session, it's on in the pod, you can check it out, but I'll give you some of the tactical tips that I used to go from knowing no one in SaaS to being able to text some of the top CMOs in the space and help to accelerate my career. Three-step framework. First is you want to find a community where there's a nice, soft, easy open door. Think of like an ajar door. If you're the CMO of Box, right, and someone cold emails you, sends you a connection on LinkedIn, it's probably going to die on the vine. They're probably never going to see that. But if you find a community, for example, I found a community called Revenue Collective, what is now Pavilion, It was a soft open door where I knew that if I sent someone a message in that community that was thoughtful, well-timed, and aligned to what they cared about, not just like what's useful for me, but what I can do to help them, that is what helps make. So you need to change the landscape to be able to get closer to a yes. You want to make sure that your message is unignorable and they'll at least see it. And again, there's a lot of creative ways to do that, but you want to minimize the effort that that takes second thing you're going to do is I think too many people think that they need to go and find the CMO of Microsoft and that that person is going to help them get where they need to be. Again, wrong. You need three types of people to help you accelerate your growth and build your network. One, you need people who are one to two years ahead of where you are today because they're going to give you a lot of the tactical tips, the learnings, and the specifics that you can implement today. The next thing you need are people who are three to five years ahead of where you are. And the reason is they can start to getting you thinking about, oh, like this is an interesting area. I think I really would love to delve deeper into brand and media. I wasn't even thinking about product marketing as an option, but you're right. It does bring my skill set. They've been the industry. They have enough context, but they're not so deep in the weeds early on that they're like ramping and figuring it out. From there, the last group that you need, and I would say don't go for the big Fortune 500 CMOs, CEOs, whatever it is, find the people at brands that inspire you with a similar customer profile that you're thinking you're interested in and find people who are like seven to 10 years ahead. And my percentage would be probably like 60% in group one, 30% in group two, and 10% in group three. From there, again, check out the recording to get the full playbook. I gave away the exact outbound template that I use, like word-for-word messaging of how I went from being able to text some of the best CMOs in the world and meet folks like Daniel and Anthony and why in three and a half years I'm on this stage as someone who was a management consultant three and a half years ago. So again, check that out. I won't give away the secret sauce. You got to go get it there. But that's how I built my network and that's how I am where I am today.
0: Yeah. The last point I just add to that is a lot of people think that you need to find a mentor to find inspiration. I need a mentor to ask questions. The best mentors I found are actually peer mentors. The people that are at the same level as me or two, one or two years ahead of me in my career because we could share ideas together, cultivate because they're in the weeds doing exactly what I'm doing right now. I think the breakdown you had is good. I think 50 to 60% should be those peers. A lot of people think, oh, I need to find a mentor. Let's go find a CMO. Let's go find a VP of marketing. But a mentor could be a great, let's say you're a product marketer, a great product marketer, another company doing something different. Like that could be a mentor to you. Don't restrict that mentor it has to be someone that is yes. way ahead of you in your career.
1: Here's one last tactical tip, which is the same in marketing as it is in dating. Okay? Here's the one tip, and I wish I knew this five, six, seven years ago. If I message Daniel on LinkedIn, he probably has 500, 1,000 cold connection requests, direct messages every week. It's going to die on the vine. The biggest thing you want to do when I think of a dating platform, get a person's phone number, text message, WhatsApp. Generally speaking, in my case, in SaaS, that is like the fastest path to get someone's attention that doesn't die in the vine, that isn't managed by their EA, you get direct to that person. And the best way to do that is to create a personal connection to them. Every single person that I reach out to, I try to understand like what motivates them, what gets them excited. And one of the first mentors that I ever had, uh, Kyle Lacey, who used to be the CMO of Western was at Salesforce before, then Seismic we bonded over his hatred for hot sauce and his love of cycling and how his board members were on Strava. So I brought him on a hot sauce sales show that I hosted and we had some funny memories and I would send him the B-roll footage over text and it became a great relationship where I could just hit him up and say, Hey, I know you're advising for this company or talking to this company that I'm looking at as a customer. Can we chat for five minutes and give me your take? And it gave me a really good executive insight to make a decision for a job offer that I ended up accepting because I had that relationship. If I only had his email or his LinkedIn, I probably wouldn't have talked to him that Sunday night before my call on Monday. So find the path to get to texts, but do not abuse that relationship. Make sure that you are always giving and adding value. You can't be that person hitting up an executive who you just met a few times per week. Be respectful. Be respectful but get their number.
0: What is a marketing hill you would die on? What's something that you feel strongly about in marketing?
1: The biggest one for me is creativity can happen in any industry, in any landscape, regardless of who you market to. The biggest cop-out answer I hear in marketing too many times is, oh, I'm in X industry. I sell Y product. I can't be creative. No. I think... Anyone can reframe, in the examples we gave today, how you bring creativity into the fold, how you build process within your team, how you start to think about things differently. And to my point, creativity is not wild Mr. Beast ideas and slapstick. Creativity can come in the form of elegance and subtlety like Dove. I don't care if you're in the most regulated industry and you're at the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA and can't speak about what you're doing. I guarantee you there are creative ways that you can bring that in. And the second level down is people say, oh, I'm in B2B. I'm selling to Chief Human Resource Officers. If my emails and my messages don't start with dear ma'am, I'm not getting a response. You are marketing to people. I was in management consulting in... One of our fields was outplacement. So outplacement is when companies are laying off large groups of employees, specifically in the financial sector. Some of our best performing creative was human and completely different from some of the large faceless corporations we were competing against. The amount of people that told me, you are wrong. You have to write white papers and surveys and bring formality we were one of the mid-sized firms, I'm in Canada, don't hold it against me, who outcompeted multi-billion dollar companies and won 50% of the business in our space against companies a 100 times our size. Why? Because we lean into creativity as our superpower.
0: Well, I think we're at time, but thank you so much, Mark, for joining. Thank you for everybody coming out. This has been awesome. And thank you, South by Southwest, for having us. Uh, this has been great.